The following is a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network, powered by Anchor. You are listening to Andy on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Bleaker, and Pocket Cast. However you listen, wherever and whenever you listen, thank you for tuning into the program tonight. And you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Alfred. It is at All Andy Alfred and Facebook.com slash All Andy Alfred. After a long holiday break, after a fantastic Christmas, a good New Year's, and a good slate of bowl games, we are back, baby, for another year. Of all Andy Alford right here on the Anchor Network. We're going to recap bull season and the woes that are the Michigan Wolverines. Ohio State shooting themselves in the foot. Not because of themselves, but also because of the officiating. We'll talk about that tonight. The Jackets. Continue their point streak. While the Walleye get back on the winning page against a familiar foe. This past Sunday night. While Cody Soul is on his way down to Florida. We'll talk about that tonight as well. Big moves in MLB. And a good recruiting class. For Scott Leffler and the Bowling Green State University Falcon football team. It has been a tremendous response to our shows last year. Let's keep the momentum going. Let's keep it driving. And keep it on because it's time for All Andy Alfred. Guess who's back? All Andy Alfred. And a shot at a goal. Four runs in the span of it. Shut out. Go! Jack. That's way back. Put some And for the first time in 2020, I say, oh, I love you guys. And welcome in to another edition of of all Andy Alford right here on your exclusive home for me, and that is the Anchor Network, and you are listening to me on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Bleaker, Stitcher, however you listen, wherever, and whenever you listen to the podcast, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning into the show, as you can always be a part of our show. By following us on Twitter, it is at AllAndyAlford. It is at AllAndyAlford, as well as on Facebook.com slash AllAndyAlford. So welcome into the program. A lot to get into tonight, of course. A long a long show, just to recap a little bit of what's happened in the past. We haven't been on the air since after Thanksgiving, of course. Uh, we've been doing a lot of... Uh, a lot of stuff around around the studio here and taking care of some bills of course and uh new equipment as well we'll we'll pass that along to you here towards the end of the program but 
Again, tonight we're going to recap, so far, the college football bowl season. Uh, what we have seen out of the college football playoff as well, too. You'll hear my opinions on a few of the, few of the games. Also, tonight you're going to hear the recap of the NFL season. The woes that are the uh, Cleveland Browns and Detroit Lions. We'll get into that as well. And uh, I will be singing a song as well, too. But I'll be singing it twice because next week, Andy and Money returns back on the Anchor Network as well. Yours truly, along with Nick the Money Man Devera, will be back on the air on Monday's dish on Monday night to do Andy and Money. Looking forward to sitting down with Nick. After a long, abbreviated show that we had last time, um, it's good to have everybody back in after the first of the year. It's good to have everybody back with you tonight right here on All Andy Offer. Also, we're going to talk about the jackets, the walleye, so much more. Like I said, you can be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at All Andy Offer. It is at All Andy Offer. So let's get right into it. And let's talk about some of the bull. We'll start with college football first and foremost. Because we've got games that are going on as we speak, as well as games in the past. And first and foremost, let's recap the bowl games so far that we have seen. The Mid-American Conference started off pretty, pretty well in the first set of bowl games that were on the 20th of December. As Buffalo just absolutely destroyed in the Makers Wanted Bahamas Bowl 31-9. Uh, The Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl saw Utah State get beat by Kent State 51-41. It was pretty much a a shootout when it comes to that. So the MAC was 2-0 overall Saturday, the 21st of December. The New Mexico Bowl saw Central Michigan University, the Chippewas, going out to New Mexico to battle. San Diego State University, San Diego State, a big 48-11 win over the Chips. In the FBC Mortgage Cure Bowl, Liberty, a winner 23-16 over Georgia Southern. A good bulk of time bowl, in my opinion, as is SMU taking on Florida Atlantic University, or FAU. FAU with a big 52-28 win over SMU. In the Camellia Bowl, it was Arkansas State, who both... Bowling Green and Toledo have played in the last few seasons. Took on FIU, Florida International University, as Arkansas State, a big 34-26 win on the 21st of December. It was also the Mitsubishi Motors Las Vegas Bowl. As 19th-ranked Boise State took on the Washington Huskies and were absolutely destroyed 38-7 on national television. Kurt Kerstreet was doing the call on that game on the 21st of December. The last game, the RL Carriers New Orleans Bowl, it was 20th ranked Appalachian State, a big 31 to 17 win over UAB. On the eve of Christmas Eve, on the 23rd, it was uh, Central Florida University, UCF, a big 48 to 25 win in the Bad Boys Motor Gaspalia Bowl. Uh, that game is being that game got played in where the Tampa Bay Rays play at. So you can tell that's pretty much right there. Uh, Hawaii on Christmas Eve welcome in BYU in a good SoFi Hawaii Bowl. Hawaii comes back and beats BYU 38-34 to in that game on, Chris, on Christmas Eve. The day after Christmas, Christmas Day, the 26th, it was Louisiana Tech shutting out Miami 
by a score of 14 to nothing in the walk-on Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana. And then up in Detroit, it was Eastern Michigan University out of the Mid-American Conference taking on the Big East opponent as the excuse me as the American Conference as the Pitt Panthers came to Ford Field. Pitt a big 34 to 30 win over Eastern Michigan on the 27th of December. It was a big, big beat up of Temple in the Military Bowl presented by Northrop Gunman as it was North Carolina. 55, Temple 13 in that game. In the New Era's Pinstripe Bowl, Michigan State with Mark D'Antonio on a little bit of a hot on a hot seat gets the win over Wake Forest and Dave Clawson 27 to 21, beating up on Dave Clawson in the New Era Pinstripe Bowl that took place in Yankee Stadium. It was the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl as Texas A&M welcomed in 25th-ranked Oklahoma State. And the Aggies getting a 24-21 win over OK State. A good San Diego Community Credit Union Holiday Bowl as 22nd-ranked USC. The Trojans go in to San Diego to take on the 16th-ranked Iowa Hawkeyes from the Big Ten Conference. And Iowa, a big 49-24 win over USC. And then in the Cheez-It Bowl, it was the Air Force Academy taking on West, the Wazoo, as Washington State University and the Cougars went in for the Cheez-It Bowl. It was the Air Force Academy, a big 31-21 win in that one. Then we get to the new start of the New Year's Six. It started off with the Cotton Bowl as Penn State, 10th ranked in the country, took on 17th ranked Memphis as Penn State just absolutely annihilated Memphis by a score of 53 to 39 in the game. The Camping World World Bowl Camping World Bowl in Florida saw 15th ranked Notre Dame taking on Matt Campbell and the Iowa State Cyclones and it was all Kelly and it was all Ian Book in this game as Notre Dame beats Iowa State by a score of 33 to 9. Looking at the in-depth game of this in-depth analysis of this game because we talk a little bit about Notre Dame as well in this game. Uh, Ian Brook threw for 247 yards, uh, and he also had a TD in the game as Notre Dame beat him 33-9. to Ian Book, 20 for 26, 247 yards, one TD in the game. Uh, Purdy, 17 for 30 for Iowa State, 222. It was uh, Jones Jr., 11 carries for 135 yards, one TD in the game. Hall for Iowa State had 17 carries, 55 yards. Claypool had seven catches for 146 yards, one TD in the game. Petaway, four catches, 54 yards, no TDs in the game. It was pretty much all Notre Dame in the game for this one as it was just domination all the way. Uh, they led in time of possession at 32 minutes and 48 seconds. Three penalties for 30 yards for, for Notre Dame in the game. Iowa State had one penalty for five yards. They had 27 minutes and 12 seconds with the football. In total yards, Notre Dame had 455 total yards of offense, 247 through the air, 208 on the ground. On the For the Iowa State team, they had 272 total yards of offense, 227 through the air, 45 yards on the ground as, as Notre Dame gets their 11th win of the season as they beat the Iowa State Hawkeyes. And then we get to the college football playoffs on the 28th of December. 
two big games, saw fourth-ranked Oklahoma head into Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl as they took on number one-ranked LSU, the Tigers, all over. Uh, all over Oklahoma by a score of 63-28. to 28. LSU is a... It, they are like what Ohio State was. A complete football team. Burroughs throwing seven touchdown passes and 493 total yards as they romped. They beat up and destroyed Oklahoma 63-28. to Burroughs, 29 for 39, 493 total yards, seven TDs in the game. He had... He had seven touchdowns in the first half alone. Seven. Unbelievable. Jalen Hurts, 15 for 31, 227, one TD in the game. Hurts ran the ball as well, too, for Oklahoma. 14 carries, 43 yards, two TDs in the game. Curry for LSU had 16 carries for 90 yards. Uh, C.J. Lamb, four Catches 119 yards. Jefferson, 14 carries, 227 through the, on through the air to catch. Four of those seven touchdowns were his in the game. LSU, a total domination of the game. Eight TDs in total, seven of them through the air en route to the national championship game. LSU will be is now number one ranked. They're 14-0 overall. They beat up Oklahoma, giving Oklahoma their second loss. And I was thinking about this the other day. Now, the Big 12 is becoming the Pac-10. No respect. Absolutely no respect. I would say this. And I know I'm going to get criticized for this. I know I'm going to get yelled at for this. But I'm going to say it. And I want you all to just bear with me. Bear me, bear with me with this. I think that the Big 12 is a joke of a conference now. They are the bottom of the Power 5. The absolute bottom of the Power 5. The only the only thing that's good for them is Baylor. And Baylor just looked Baylor just looked, you know, halfway decent yesterday. Against Georgia. We'll, we'll get to that here in just a second. And Oklahoma could be relevant. And Texas. After that, it is just a mess of teams. Hell, the hell the Mid-American Conference is a better has a better chance to make, make a headway as a Power 5 team. You get more draft picks out of the Mid-American Conference as well. But Oklahoma just looked... Flat as ever. Absolutely flat as ever. And then we get to the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl. As Dabo Sweeney and Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson Tigers, third ranked in the country, the slight favorite in the game by six points, took on Ryan Day, Justin Fields, and the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, I am going to talk about this very lightly. I do not want to start a war between Ohio State fans 
and myself, I know this is a big thing, but let's just say this. You know, being up 16 to 14 at halftime was something. But you cannot blame the officials for... You can blame the officials for two things. One, the the ejection in the game, in the second quarter. You can make the objection that, you know, Lawrence was going down and he had his head tucked in. And I totally agree with that. He was, But then the rules committee and the officials got together. Let's take a look at it. It's called for targeting. They review it. I don't see why it was a targeting call. Here's why I say that. He goes to the field. He has the football. He's going for positive yardage. And what happens? He's he's already going. He's starting to go down. He tucks his head in. Knowing that he's going to be tackled. The guy lays in for the shoulder. Lays in for the shoulder for the tackle. And what happens? Gets called for targeting. A key piece of the defense for Ohio State. A key piece. And I, 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 I say it. I will say this very, very gently. If that targeting call was not going to be called, if that targeting call wasn't going to be called, I think Ohio State would probably would have won the football game. I really do. I really, really do. And for me... For me, I just look at it as for White, Sean White, in the game, Ohio State was up 16 to nothing in the game. And then you let Clemson back into the game. Let him back into the game. Give him a touchdown. You give him the touchdown at 16 to 7. And clearly, and the second thing is this. Can somebody please explain to me what a football move is? Because what I saw was a guy receiving the football, making the turn, being tackled, stripped, the ball falls down, fumble, Ohio State picks it up and scores for a touchdown. And I said it on Twitter and I said it on Facebook, 
And I had to delete it because everybody was criticizing me about it, but I had to say it out loud. I felt like the fix was in for Clemson at that point. Because it clearly was. It was clearly, clearly a strip and a fumble and a scoop and score for six for Ohio State. But they could not capitalize on that. They absolutely did not capitalize on that. But, you know, there it is. The opportunity for them to do... And then the breakdown, I think, happened in the, in the, in the second half. A punt from both sides. Clemson then gets a seven-play, 99-yard drive. Makes it 21 to 16. Ohio State picks it off. Ohio State gets picked off. Clemson and the defense stood their ground. Ohio State gets the football back. They score a touchdown on a 13 play, 84 yard drive. It's in four minutes and 52 seconds. But here's the thing. They had the lead 21 to 23. They get the football back. They go 10 plays, 50 yards, and have to punt the football. Give them time. And Lawrence drives the football down the field, four plays, 94 yards. In a minute 18, you give them all this time, and the defense doesn't show up. They fell apart. Quicker than a Walmart lawn chair in a windstorm on a summer's night. And Clemson defeats Ohio State on the last on the second to last play of the game. Ohio they get a touchdown. It's 29-23. Ohio State has the football. Fields leads them down to the Clemson 23. Throws it deep. And it's intercepted by Nolan Turner. And that's the game. Ohio State falls to Clemson. And Ohio State's 19-game streak ends 29-23. In the game for Ohio State. Fields, 30 for 46, 321 touchdown, two interceptions in the game. Lawrence, uh, not a great game for him. 18 for 33, 259, two TDs, no interceptions in the game. J.K. Dobbins, 18 carries, 174 yards, one TD in the game. Lawrence was the top rusher for the Clemson Tigers. 16 carries, 107 yards, one TD in the game. Uh, Ely, 10 10 carries, uh, 36 yards, one TD in the game. Fields also ran the ball 14 times for 13 yards in the game. On On the receiving end, Ohio State, six receptions for 67 yards for K.J. Hill. It was Ely, three catches, 98 yards, two TDs in the game. Max, six catches, 54 yards, no TDs in the game. Uh, Ross, six catches, 47 yards, no TDs in the game. The overall breakdown looks like this. Uh, Clemson had 21 first downs to Ohio State's 28. On third down, Ohio State was 7 for 18. Clemson, 5 for 14. Ohio State was perfect for one for one for fourth down. They also had the most total yards in the game at 516 total yards to Clemson's 417. Passing-wise, Ohio State had 320 passing yards to Clemson's 259. 
Uh, the completion ratio was 30 for 46 for Ohio State. Clemson, 18 for 33. On the ground, Ohio State had 196 total yards of rush offense to Clemson's 158. Penalties killed Ohio State, 8 penalties, 77 yards in the game. Clemson, 6 penalties, 47 yards in the game. Ohio State turned over the football twice with two interceptions. Clemson did not turn over the football at all. And Ohio State led in possession at 33 minutes and 27 seconds. Clemson, 26 33. So Clemson and LSU for the national championship. We'll get to that here and we'll preview that coming up as well. So those are the two big games. We'll look at the rest of the of the bowl games here in just a second as you're listening to all in the offer tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. So we have more bowl games, of course, afterwards on the 30th of December after after a day off of the NFL. It was Western Kentucky getting a 23-20 win in the Salvo First Responders Bowl over Western Michigan University. It was in the Frank Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl that took place in Nashville, Tennessee. Louisville, a 38-28 win over Mississippi State. In the Red Box Bowl, it was Cal, the Bears of Cal, a big 35-20 win over Lovey Smith in the Illinois Illini. In the Capital One Orange Bowl that took place in Florida, it was the 24th-ranked Virginia Volunteer, the Virginia Cavaliers, Taking on the ninth-ranked Florida Gators, a good game for this one as the Gators getting a 36-28 win over the Cavaliers. Then, the day before New Year's, a full slate, five games in the bowl season. It was starting with the Belk Bowl. It was Virginia Tech taking on Kentucky in a slobber knocker of a game that took place in, in North Carolina, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And this game, in the beginning of the game, there was a fight between Virginia, a couple of Virginia Tech players and North Carolina players. There were some serious punches being thrown. And no, this these two teams have no animosity towards one another as it was a slugfest back and forth as Kentucky getting a big 37-30 win over Virginia Tech. In the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, Arizona State, the Sun Devils, led by Herm Edwards, took on Florida State University as Arizona State, a big 20-14 win in the Sun Bowl. 23rd-ranked Navy in the AutoZone Liberty Bowl took on took on Kansas State, and Navy, a big 20-17 win over Kansas State. In the Nova Home Loans Arizona Bowl, as Georgia State University took on Wyoming. That's a good matchup for you right there. Wyoming, a big 38-17 win over Georgia State. In the Valero Alamo Bowl that took place in San Antonio, Texas, it was the 11th-ranked Utah, 11th Utah taking on Texas, the Longhorns, Hook'em Horns, and they hooked Utah in this game. Utah, 11th-ranked in the country, Texas beating them 38-10. And then we get to yesterday. And yesterday was... New Year's Day, of course. Happy New Year, Happy New Year to you guys again. Four games, the big, the big two games. The, of course, the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. But of course, we had two games before that, and it was PJ Fleck and the Minnesota Golden Gophers, 18th ranked in the country, taking on 12th ranked Auburn, and Minnesota rose the boat in Tampa, and they get the job done 
and they beat the Auburn Tigers by a score of 31 to 24. And then we had the VRBO Citrus Bowl, as it was Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide, all 10 and 2 overall, taking on 14th ranked. Michigan and Jim Harbaugh in the game. And Mac Jones throws thrice for three touchdowns in the game. No Tua in the game because of the leg injury. And Jerry Judy becomes the first Alabama player to top 200 receiving yards in a bowl game. As Michigan. Falls to Alabama by a score of 35-16 to in the game. In the game overall, Shane Patterson, 17 for 37, 233, one touchdown, two interceptions in the game. Jones, 16 for 25, 327, three TDs in the game. Charlotte Boy had 13 carries for 84 yards. Uh, Nick Harrison, 24, car- 24 car- carries, excuse me. For 136 yards, two TDs in the game. It was Jackson with four receptions, 57 yards. Judy, like I mentioned, six receptions, 204 yards, one TD in the game. Also, it was uh, Smith, three catches, 56 yards, one TD in the game. For Michigan, it was uh, Bell, four catches, 53 yards, no touchdowns in the game. The overall stats look like this. Uh, Michigan, 23 first downs to to Alabama's 20. On third down, Michigan was 8 for 18. Alabama, 4 for 10. They were a perfect 1 for 1 on fourth down. Michigan was. Alabama did not convert on fourth down. Alabama had 480 total yards of offense, 327 through the air, 153 on the ground. For for, uh, Michigan, it was 395 in total offense, 233 through the air, 162 on the ground. Seven penalties, 61 yards in the game, five penalties, 25 yards for Alabama in the game. Seven penalties, 61 yards for Michigan in the game. Michigan turned over the football twice. Alabama did not. Michigan led in the possession, 34 minutes and 47 seconds. Alabama, 25 minutes and 13 seconds. And here's why I say this about this game. Michigan now goes to 9-4. and four. Michigan has not won a bowl game in now two years. I'm going to say this gently to you Michigan fans. Is Harbaugh still your guy? That's that's the question. So Harbaugh is still your guy. Because in my opinion, after the loss to Ohio State, he is not the right man for the job. He really isn't. Now you got to give him a yeast. This next year is the big year for him. Contract year. Doesn't do well against Ohio State again. Bye, Jimmy. That's what I have to say about that. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It'll be interesting to see what happens. The granddaddy of it all, of course, was the Rose Bowl. Great game. Sixth-ranked Oregon versus eighth-ranked Wisconsin. A beautiful night in Pasadena, California. The granddaddy of it all. And Justin Herbert scoring three rushing touchdowns. Scoring a big game, big touchdown, a 30-yard run with seven minutes to go in the game on Wednesday night. And 
Seventh ranked Oregon beats eleventh, uh, eighth ranked Wisconsin by a score of twenty-eight to twenty-seven in the game. Excuse me, eighth, sixth ranked Oregon beats eighth ranked Wisconsin twenty-eight to twenty-seven in the game. In the game overall, Herbert fourteen catches, carry, excuse me, fourteen catches completions for twenty yards. Uh, fourteen catches out of twenty, fourteen for twenty. 138, no touchdowns, one interception in the game. Verdell for Oregon, 17 carries, 49 yards, no TDs in the game. Herbert was all the offense for Oregon, 9 carries for 29 yards, 3 TDs in the game. For Oregon in the receiving end, it was Johnson, 5 catches, 66 yards. Pittman, 4 catches, 30 yards in the game. For Wisconsin, it was Crone with 23 for 35, 168, 168 completion yards one TD one interception in the game Taylor 21 carries for 94 yards and we'll get to that here in just a second a big game for Oregon when it comes to the rushing side of things as on first down it was Wisconsin 18 first downs to Oregon's 13 first downs on third down Wisconsin 5 for 17 Oregon 3 for 10. Wisconsin was 4 for 5 on 4th down, Oregon 0 for 1. Wisconsin 322 total yards of offense, 186, 136 on the ground. For Oregon, 204 total yards of offense, 138 through the air, 66 on the ground. Wisconsin was killed with penalties, 9 penalties, 79 yards. Oregon, 2 penalties, 20 yards in the game, 4 turnovers in the game, 3 of which were fumbles. Wisconsin cannot hold on to the football in the game. Three fumbles, one interception. Oregon had one interception for one turnover. Wisconsin led the time of the possession, 38 minutes and 3 seconds. Oregon, 21-57. So, Oregon, a big win, come from behind, beats Wisconsin, 28-27. The final game on New Year's Day, of course, was the All-State Sugar Bowl that took place in New Orleans, Louisiana, as 5th-ranked Georgia welcomed in 7th-ranked Baylor, and like I mentioned before, Baylor giving up a good fight against Georgia, but Georgia too much for the Baylor Bears as they win 26-14 over Baylor in the game in the All-State Sugar Bowl. We have three ga- two games today as we're doing this podcast tonight on this, the second day of January 2020 as it is 21st-ranked Cincinnati taking on Boston College. They were in a weather delay, of course, but they're finishing it up right now. 21th-ranked Cincinnati, a big 31-6 lead right now with less than four minutes to go in the fourth quarter, Cincinnati having the football. And later tonight, it will be Indiana taking on Tennessee in the Tax Slayers Gators Bowl. That game started at starting at 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, the final few bowl games are as follows. Tomorrow it will be the famous Idaho Potato Bowl as 6-6 six and six Ohio, the Bobcats of the Mid-American Conference, take on the Nevada Wolfpack, that, a 3.30 kickoff on ESPN. It will also be the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl as Tulane University will be the home team of taking on Southern Missouri Southern Missouri seven and five, Tulane six and six. The wave taking on at eleven thirty in the morning on Saturday on ESPN. Sunday, on uh, Monday. That's excuse me on Saturday the fourth. 
Monday, January 6th, the final bowl game before the national championship game. It'll be the Lending Tree Bowl as the Raging Cajuns of Louisiana take on Miami of Ohio, the Mid-American Conference champions in the Lending Tree Bowl, 7.30 kickoff on ESPN. And then that leads us to the final bowl game of the year, which is January 13th, which will be in two weeks in In beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Mercedes-Benz Superdome as it will be the Clemson Tigers versus the LSU Tigers. LSU, the home team in the game. Clemson, the road team. Uh, Be interesting. The LSU Tigers are not favored in the game. They are... LSU is favored by five and a half in the game for the for the uh, for the national championship game. Uh, some college football news and notes to pass along to you as well. Uh, it looks like looks like it will be a new hire at Purdue, as Purdue has hired veteran defensive coordinator from Louisiana Tech as their new head coach, Bob DeBlinko from Louisiana Tech. Um, as he will be now the new defensive coordinator for Jeff Blom in in Purdue. So it will be interesting to see what happens with that. As you're listening to Only Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. And now let's talk a little bit about some local te- a local team, of course, we had a big moves that took place this past week, a few weeks ago, and that was the big recruiting class coming in to the Bowling Green State University Falcon football team. So a few uh, weeks ago, Bowling Green and all college football had National Signing Day and the uh, 18th of December, actually, while we were on our big holiday break between Christmas and New Year's, of course. And, of course... Bowling Green making a big splash, adding 27 student-athletes to the football program under the direction of Scott Leffler. I do have some of the recruiting class. The breakdown looks like this. 14 players are homegrown, my friends, right here from the state of Ohio. Four from Illinois, two from Florida, two from Indiana, two from Michigan, one from Alabama, one from Arkansas, and one from Georgia. The breakdown Two quarterbacks, two running backs, three wide receivers, two tight ends, five defense offensive linemen, four defensive linemen, three linebackers, and three and five DBs in the game. Looking at some of the notables to pass along, of course, the one of them is Bryce Boyer. He's a tight end. He's 6'4", 215 from White House, Ohio. He played football at Anthony Wayne High School, home of the Generals, of course. He's played three years of varsity football at Anthony Wayne. The team went 31-4-1 overall in the final three years, including 11-1 mark the last two seasons. He is a member of the National Honor Society and was also Elk Student of the Month. He uh, had 17 catches for 201 yards and six touchdowns in his career. On the defensive side of the ball, he adds 187 tackles and eight quarterback sacks. He is the son of Lee and Susan Boyer, father of grandfather and great-grandfather, all played Football at Bowling Green 
He plans to study education, so welcome Bryce Boyer to the brown and orange. A big one also to pass along uh, on the linebacker front is J.B. Brown from Hughes, Arkansas. He played three years of varsity football for Chris Woods at Harbor High School. 2019 All-State Outside Linebacker, 2018 All-Conference. He earned Joe Burrow, uh, Joe's Borrow, Sun's Best under the sun recognition in 2018. He is was the team captain for his team. He ranks 26 in the Fab 40 top ranking of college football recruits in the state of Arkansas. He is the son of Jared Brown and Carl Jones. Has three brothers, Jaden Brown Jr., Darce, Darius McCuston, and Trey Morton. So welcome J.D. Brown to the Brown and Orange. Another big one, of course, is the local kids. Riley Keller, six foot one, two hundred and five, from Whitmer High School. He is a commit to the Bowling Green State University Falcons. He played all four years of varsity football with Ken Wetters at Whitmer. Four-year letter winner, two-time first-team All-Track, first-team All-State. He is he picked Bowling Green, who is a three-star recruit who chose Bowling Green over Iowa State, Old Miss, West Virginia. NIU, Western Michigan, and the University of Toledo. His full name is Riley Keller, Kenneth Keller. He was born November 12, 2001. He is the son of Justin and Elsie Keller. His brother, Bryce, both mother and father, were athletes at Bowling Green. Uncle played football and baseball at Georgia Tech. Cousin Ben Roethlisberger plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So welcome, Riley Keller to the Bowling Green State University Falcon football team. One other one, of course, Matt Fordner, offensive lineman, 6'3", 280, from, south, south, from Northview High School in Sylvania, Ohio. He played four years of varsity football at Sylvania Northview under Doug Downing, named All-League three times, 2017 to 2019, was the team captain, named All-Academic as well. He is the son of John and Nancy Fortner, one brother Luke, and a sister Sarah. Both Luke, brother Luke, play football. Is playing football at Kentucky. He is a Wildcat. So welcome Matt Fortner to the Bowling Green State University Falcons. Another key one as well is Tucker Melton. He's the quarterback, 6'3", 220 from Phoenix City, Alabama at Central High School. He has played three years of varsity football at Jamie with Jeremy DeBroys. Out of Central High School, high school. he is a three-year letter winner, two-time Alabama 7A state champion and semifinalist in 2017, was 108 for 188 with 1,427 yards and 18 touchdowns as a senior. He had 137 yards on the ground and a TD. And a junior, as a junior, he was 61 for 94 for 1,092 yards and 11 TDs, also adding three rushing scores for 156 yards. He also lettered in baseball. He's a three-star recruit who chose Bowling Green over Akron, Southern Miss, and other schools. His brother is his brother is Gage Dollar. He is a pitcher for Alabama State in baseball. He is the son of Brad and Nicole Melton. He was born December 6, 2001. So welcome Tucker Melton, the quarterback for quarterback candidate. For the brown and orange. Miles Williamson. Defensive DB. 5'11", 
172 from Westerville, Ohio, from Westerville Central High School. Was named second team Division I All-Central District as a receiver and was special mentioned as a junior. He chose Bowling Green over Miami of Ohio. Father played collegiate football at Youngstown State. He is the mo- he is the f- son of Marion and Taryn Wilson. Welcome, Miles Wills Williamson, defensive back, 5'10", out of Westerville, Ohio, to the Brown and Orange. Fortune Woods, a linebacker, 6'3", 200 from Hamil- uh, Hampton, Indiana, from George Clark High School. Played four years of football at George Clark High School. Was the team captain. Also has played basketball and ran track. And uh, welcome to the Brown and Orange for him as well. Uh, so another one is Taryn Stewart. He's a running back, 5'8", 210 pounds. He is from Sandusky, Ohio, the home of Cedar Point. As I pull his information up right now as we speak, here, yeah, here it is. Terrence Wilson, running back, 5'8", 210, from Sandusky High School, the Blue Streaks. He played four years of football with Michael Franklin at Sandusky High School, two-time, two two-time, first-team All-Ohio, four-year letter winner, three-time, first-team SBC, Sandusky Bay Conference, two-first-teamer, two-time league MVP, and Northwest District Offensive Player of the Year. He had ran for 250 yards and 29 TDs as a senior and helped his team to a 9-4 record. He has two. He had 2,758 total yards, 39 touchdowns as a junior. He also runs track. He's a three-star recruit. He is planning a physical education major. He's the son of Chris Pollock and Tanya Stewart Amanda Paul, and Amanda Pollock. So welcome, Trenton Stewart, running back, the brown and orange. And I have one more I want to pass here before we get it over to Scott Leffler. Um, here we go. Uh, Griffin Little. Griffin Little, he is from beautiful Fort Wayne, Indiana, at Homestead High School as... Here it is, right here. Here it is, right here. Homestead High School played two years of varsity football for Chad Zolman at Homestead High School. Two-year letter winner, 2019 first-team All-SAC, 2019 All-Northeastern Indiana first-team tight end, and 2018 All-State. He has 95 catches for 1,539 yards over the final two seasons with 17 touchdowns. He chose Bowling Green over the Air Force, Ball State, Central Michigan, NIU and other teams. He is a plans to be a business major. He's the son of John and Kathy Little. So welcome Griffin Little to the Bowling Green State University Falcons. So there's some of the National Signing Day releases. Uh, we're going to turn it over to Scott Luffler in his press conference that he had back in December of his recruits, courtesy of the YouTube channel on the Bowling Green Bowling Green Athletics Department. And here he is right now, the head coach of our Bowling Green State University Falcons, Scott Leffler, with the recruits from this past signing day on the 18th of December, 2019. Uh, first off, I'd like to thank everyone uh, for joining us this afternoon. It's an exciting day for Bowling Green State University. Uh, I'd like to begin by 
thanking everyone involved in helping us land this 220 class. Our president, our faculty, and the athletic administration, Bob Moosebrugger, Kit Hughes, Elizabeth Laymaster and financial aid, Harley King in compliance, Marisha Taschenberg in academics, Chet Hessen in student athletic uh, affairs, uh, our video department, our equipment uh, people, the training staff, Kevin Tolbert in the weight room, Jason Knavel in communications, our local businesses. I really appreciate you guys opening up your restaurants and your hotels to us. Of course, Mr. Van Wright, who's in the crowd, who's uh, absolutely critical to our recruiting process. The high school coaches, uh, we said that we were going to recruit the, the four-hour radius, and you've done a wonderful job helping us land this class. Our players, our players uh, do a great job of helping us uh, show uh, the newcoming uh, student-athletes around campus. They did a great job. Liv Passy, our DFO, is always wonderful. And uh, Devin Smith. Uh, Devin Smith uh, is our recruiting coordinator, and he did a fabulous job assembling a great class. And last but not least, our mission, mission, mission control, uh, the coaching staff. I think our coaching staff did a remarkable job of, uh, of uh, landing exactly what we wanted in this uh, year's class. My hat goes off to him. This has been a 365-day process to get us uh, to where we wanted to be. And uh, I think the coaches did a wonderful job uh, getting us this uh, 220 class. So what makes this 220 class special? All right, first off, uh, we considered it our first vetted class by our staff. We started this almost uh, 365 days to the date. It was an extensive, it was a detailed process. Uh, there was guys that uh, we thoroughly investigated inside and out, all of them we thoroughly investigated inside and out. And uh, we think that this is uh, the footprint of our program. Uh, they, they are exactly what we, that we, what we wanted and how we said that uh, we were going to go get them. The characteristics uh, that we looked for in these guys was a high character guy. We looked for high character parents, which I think we found. We wanted smart, competent, tough people, talented people. We wanted uh, uh, student athletes that we had to go against our light competition, uh, and we felt that we won on some. We wanted leaders and winners. Uh, if you really look at the list, there's uh, top programs uh, that these kids come from. A lot of them were in state championship game, playoff games. We wanted unselfish people, team people. And uh, I know that we got this. It's a remarkable uh, in the short time this year that we've been with these kids. These kids have already bonded. They've got it. They care about each other. They want Bowling Green to win. And uh, they're all about Bowling Green right now. And that's what we wanted. We wanted people that wanted to be here. We wanted people that we had to out-recruit to get them here. And that's what we found. The 220 class, the way that our staff looked at this, it was going to be a uh, critical component to where we want to go. Uh, it's not the end-all, be-all, uh, but it's the foundation. It's the start. And uh, we found uh, some very, very talented, good character Bowling Green State University people here, and we're fired up to have them. Um, our motto these last couple weeks is that we're going to go to the moon, and we're going to. Uh, what we're going to do is we already have mission control right now. We've got a great coaching staff. And what we were able to do in the 2019 uh, uh, year is we were able to find who's in and who's out. 
and the guys that are in, what we're going to do is we're going to develop them. We're going to develop them inside and out, and then we're going to go recruit some more astronauts. All right, this class is, uh, was a key component, but the 221 will be just the same. It's going to be critical that we continue building our building our, our NASA, as we would say. What we're going to do is after we get the, the, the people in place, we're going to build the best uh, spaceship in America. We're going to go 18,000 miles an hour. We're going to break the gravitational pull. We're going to land on that moon. And we're going to look down and we're going to see all the hard work and all the intangible things that it takes to, to win. Because winning is not easy. Then what we're going to do is we're going to come back to Earth and try to do it again. So we're super excited about uh, uh, this class. It's a step-by-step -step process. It's a process that we're not going to cut corners. It's going to be methodical. It's going to be step-by-step. -step. And the objective is, is to get our football program to exactly where the standards and expectations have always been here. And most importantly, through methodical, detailed work to make sure that the place never goes back to a situation that we are currently in. So we're going to get to the moon one way or the other, and this 220 class is a huge piece in us getting to where we need to go. With that being said, I'll open it up to questions. This is obviously a class you guys really like. How have you guys been able to sell a vision of what you guys want this to be? It's not difficult. You know, we have three team goals. We said that, number one, that we wanted to graduate our football team. And Jordan, just like anything else, that everyone, every college coach in America stands up and says that we want to graduate guys. We just don't want to do that here. We want to take that degree. We want our kids to learn all the great life lessons that they learn from our program. Take that degree, whatever it is, if it's a doctor, if it's a lawyer, if it's a teacher, if it's a coach, be able to walk into their, uh, you know, their field and dominate. So. That's the number one objective. The number two objective is to get these kids prepared for life after football. If you look at our staff and the history that they've had, if you look how they've built great character of men, they have. I mean, we've got, we've got a resume and we've got uh, uh, proof that, that we've developed great, great players and great people. And then last but not least, uh, we want to make sure that we win here. We're not going to hide that. The, the standards and expectations here have always been championship, and they get it. The parents get it. Uh, it's not hard to walk onto our campus and, and, and see the lovely buildings that we have. have a, it's not a commuter school. It's a place where, where we have a true campus. It's a great community. And we've got, of course, where's Van at? Van Wright. We got Van Wright, and when Van Wright talks to these parents, it's, it's a done deal. So he's our secret weapon. Coach, what inspired the space or the NASA blueprint for this 2020 class? Uh, I'm copycatting, to be quite honest with you. I have a dear friend in the business that woke me up. Uh, there was some things that I was doing uh, that uh, wasn't the standards and expectations of, of who I am. And uh, we had a long conversation, and, uh, and I know his theme and what he's trying to do. And uh, he, uh, he gave me some ideas. And uh, he's really, really good at what he does. He's excellent at what he does. And he's uh, very forthcoming, very honest. And uh, it starts in the morning. Uh, it starts being able to wake up and read for a half hour, write for a half hour. He goes, when's the last time that you've read and wrote? And I go, July. And he goes, when's your best ideas occur? July. So the standards and expectations of, of, of having great habits, you have to have great habits in order for your players to have great habits. You know, I work out sometimes during the season and then hit it as hard as ever in the off season. Well, that's not healthy. So the, the standards and expectations of being a leader, at times I didn't measure up, and uh, that's going to change here real fast. Can you reveal who that is? No. Okay.
obviously made a huge emphasis on Northwest Ohio kids, and we haven't seen that in a little while here. Why was that so important to you guys? Well, we said what we were going to do. We were going to come in here and we were going to build the program with uh, the four-hour radius. It's just not the north Northwest Ohio kids. That's important. There's no question about that. But the, the four-hour radius is imperative to our success. The business plan is simple. Go recruit really hard in the four-hour radius. Get 75% of your roster from uh, from that four-hour radius. Go find an arm anywhere. Uh, we do not care where that quarterback comes from. And then f take the rest of your roster, the 25%, find some speed or what have not in other places. And that's what we did, I believe. Uh, Jason, you can quote us. I think we're 81% of the, the four-hour radius. And uh, so we we're going to stick to the business plan. We're not going to waver. It's going to be step-by-step, -step, methodical. We've got, uh, we got a plan to make sure that uh, we get back to our standards and expectation. But the biggest thing is once we get to the moon, we want to be able to sustain. We don't want an up-and-down program here anymore. We want a program that is built uh, and all the, the great uh, foundation that has been in the past, and we want to keep it the same. We don't want to be an up-and-down place. So you just heard the head coach of Bowling Green State University, Scott Leffler, and his comments, some brief comments about uh, National Signing Day. You heard a little bit of Jordan Strack's questions as well, too. Um, it is a big step with the four-hour window. I like that. But I I like the method that he's going with with this NASA situation. They're going to take us to the moon and then come back to Earth over it. We'll see how it works. It is a, it is a work in progress. This is his first. This will be technically his first full season with the team because he had Jenks's recruits. He's had he's had uh, Polini's style of play going into last season, and he's been. This is his handprint now. We have to see how he's going to perform. We absolutely have to see what how it's going to perform. And what I'm hearing so far is good things. I like the fact that it's a four-hour window with him. But we'll see what happens. It all it all relates to seeing what's on the field come spring and summer. Because these players have got to be ready. Because your first test is against you. It's against Ohio State, the Big Ten champion. And I know you're not playing. You're not supposed to prepare for one team. You're supposed to prepare for the full season. But that right there could set you up big time. You can wake up a lot of people big time if you can knock off the Buckeyes. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You're listening to All Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning into the program tonight. And now let's hit, continue talking about the gridiron. And let's dive into the NFL. Mr. Kitchens is now closed. So when I last left you, we were in the middle of the NFL season before we took our big holiday break. And now we have hit the end of the NFL season and week 17 has come and passed the final games of course took place on this past Sunday as we have some playoff considerations we'll talk a little bit about the playoffs here in just a second but let's recap week 17 of the NFL slate and first and foremost let's talk about Detroit 
The Lions this past Sunday welcomed in Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. A great game for the Lions. Nothing to play for. And they were total domination first half of the game. It was a tale of two halves. Bowling, the, uh, the Lions are like Bowling Green. They played great in the first half, but they can't seem to get the second half going. And that's what happened. Detroit up 17-3 at halftime, and the Packers come roaring back as they barely beat the Lions on a game-winning field goal as time expired to beat the Lions 23-20. Aaron Rodgers, 27 for 55, 323, two TDs, one interception in the game. Uh, Jones, 25 carries for 100 yards. And Devontae Adams, 7 catches, 93 yards, 1 TD in the game. For the Lions, it was Blau, the starting quarterback, 12 for 29, 122 total yards, 1 interception in the game. Uh, Johnson, 3 carries for 65 yards. Kenny Galladay, 3 catches, 72 yards. No TDs in the game. It was Johnson, on Johnson, 11 carries, 53 yards, 1 TD in the game. Danny Amendola was one for one for 19 yards and one touchdown uh, completion in the game. Played a little bit of a trickery, and Blau goes in for the touchdown. They went with the Philly special, and they went with the Detroit special, of course. But, of course, it doesn't end well for the Lions. The overall team stats look like this. The Lions had 17 first downs to the Green Bay's 25. On third down, the Lions were 3 for 12. The Packers 8 for 20. On fourth down, the Lions 1 for 1. Green Bay 2 for 2. The Lions had 305 total yards of offense, 134 through the air, 171 on the ground. For Green Bay, they have 432 yards of total offense, 312 through the air, 120 on the ground. Nine penalties, 97 yards for Green Bay. Four penalties, 50 yards for the Hallelujah Blue and Silver. The Lions, one turnover. Green Bay, one turnover as well. The Lions had 25 minutes and four seconds of possession time to Green Bay's 34 minutes and 56 seconds. So the Lions, with the loss, 3-12-1 to end this season. Is that good enough for Matt Patricia? Oh, no, it wasn't. Patricia, very not happy of how his team performs, but the fours decide to give him and the GM an extension. Are you freaking kidding me? This is it, folks. If he doesn't get us to the NFC playoffs next year, gone. In my opinion, he is gone. Three years. Three years. And I love it that the four that the fans were telling the fours to sell the team because it is a damn right that they should sell the team to new ownership that wants to invest money into this team. Because Marion Ford doesn't know what a, what a football team is between her two cocktails that she has. I am sick 
and tired of losing football in Detroit. We've had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to capitalize on it. And we failed to do it. This year we got screwed by the officials in Green Bay, which set us back. Our inconsistent play all season. Three wins all year. Against the Chargers. Against the against the the Eagles. And against the Giants. We lose to Washington. We lose on Thanksgiving to the Bears. Twice to the Bears. Lose to Minnesota twice. Get destroyed by Jameis Winston. Go out to Mile High. Get destroyed by the Broncos. Hello, Marion Ford. Wake up. Sell your ownership. Sell the team. Bring in some fresh blood. For the love of God. We need new ownership. We need somebody that's going to invest in this team. And I'm sick and tired of it. Every freaking year. Oh, it's just a general Bob Quinn gets an extension. Patricia gets his extension. The Lions fire seven coaches on the on Black Monday. I mean, our draft pick's going to be great. Top 10. But it doesn't matter because because we what are we going to have besides him? Stafford is not getting any younger, folks. He deserves a Super Bowl ring. He deserves a chance to bring a title to Detroit. In football, we have not made it to the Super Bowl. We have not even competed deeply into the playoffs. We need new ownership. We need new leadership. Plain and simple. Jeff Davidson steps away. Paul Pasquale steps down. Pasquale was the defensive coordinator. Again, I I, I say it again. Gonna be an interesting off season, folks, in Detroit. It really is. But hey, at least we're not the Browns. The Browns on Sunday finished up against the Bengals at Paul Brown Stadium. 
down in Cincinnati. Andy Dalton had a touchdown and ran for a touchdown. As he is setting a final farewell to the Cincinnati Bengals faithful and a fine farewell to Freddie Kitchens as well too. As the Bengals end a miserable season with their second win of the year against a Cleveland Brown team that could have finished seven and nine instead finishes six and ten when they with the loss to the Bengals thirty three to twenty three in the game. For the Browns in the game, Baker Mayfield twelve for twenty seven, two seventy nine, three touchdowns, three interceptions. Its QBR was a forty five point six. Nick Chubb, a good game. 13 carries, 41 yards, no TDs in the game. Jarvis Landry, two catches, 82 yards, one TD in the game. Odell Beckham Jr., a beautiful catch. Three catches, 81 yards, one TD in the game. Ratley, two catches, 64 yards, one TD in the game. Andy Dalton, again, great game for him. 16 for 28, 190. One TD, one interception. His QBR rating is 74.2. Mixon, 26 carries for 162 yards. Two TDs in the game. Boyd, five catches, 59 yards. No TDs in the game. Uh, Uzuma, five catches, 25 yards. One TD in the game. The overall stats look like this. The Browns, 15 first downs to the Bengals, 22 on third down. The Browns, four for 13. The Bengals, nine for 14. Uh, Total yards, 313 total yards for the Browns. 239 through the air, 74 yards on the ground. For the Bengals, 361 total yards of offense, 182 through the air, 179 on the ground. Four penalties, 33 yards for the Browns, three penalties, 20 yards for the Bengals. All three turnovers, interceptions, one turnover for the Bengals. That was an interception as well. The Bengals led in possession, 34 minutes and 41 seconds. The Browns, 25 minutes and 19 seconds as the Browns fall to 6-10 and 10 this season. The amount of talent that this team had had on this this season, they should have been at least in contention for a wild card spot because how bad Tennessee is, how bad the no Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. This team should have been there. I had them winning the division this year. I had them winning the division this year. That's not coming true. That's definitely not coming true. Excuse me for a second. Why in God's name? Why in God's name? I had to walk away from the microphone because I'm so frustrated about the Browns. Why in God's name? And Freddie Kitchens gets fired Sunday night. So now the Browns are without a head coach. They have interviewed 
Mike McCarthy today. That's who I think will be the next head coach of the Cleveland Browns, in my opinion. Now everybody's saying, oh, well, they should go with Urban Meyer, or they should go with uh, at the uh, Josh McDaniels, or look, McCarthy taught Rodgers. He could teach. He could teach Baker Mayfield. He had Randall Cobb that could be the same as what Odell Beckham is. The amount of talent that the Browns have and will have this this season, it's interesting. It's absolutely interesting. But I, I, John Dorsey is gone. They need a new GM at the same time. I'll say this. Plain and simple. McCarthy goes in. He'll be the GM. And the coach. Plain and simple. Make him one man. Haslam, that's all Haslam has to do. Make him one man. We all knew that Freddie Kitchens, including yours truly, wasn't the right man for the job. I felt like the amount of talent that the Browns had, they could do it. But I was certainly wrong. Wrong. On all aspects. So, as Freddie's train is headed out this season. You're listening to All Andy Offer tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. Let's recap the rest of Week 17 of the NFL slate. The Jets were a winner 13-6 to over the Buffalo Bills. It was the Chiefs. A 31-21 win over the Chargers. It was Chicago getting a 21-19 win over Minnesota. Miami pulling the upset and screwing the Patriots 27-24. And now New England falls to the number three seed this upcoming playoff run. We'll talk about that here in just a second. Atlanta, a 28-22 win over Tampa Bay in in overtime. It was New Orleans, a 42-10 win over Carolina. The Philadelphia Eagles getting a huge win over the Giants, 34-17, clinching the NFC East. The Dallas Cowboys put 47 up on the Washington Football Club as they beat them 47-16. The Broncos, a 16-15 win over the Oakland Raiders. The Rams, 31-24 win over Arizona. Jacksonville, 38. Indianapolis, 20. Baltimore, a 28-10 win over Pittsburgh, finishing up Pittsburgh's run. The Titans clinch a playoff spot with a win 35-14 over the Houston Texans. And it was San Francisco, a 26-21 win over Seattle in Seattle in the 12th man. So looking at it, here it is, folks. This is what I... We're at the end of the regular season, and this is what the standings look like. And we're going to look at, I'm looking also right now at my predictions from this past season. We'll start first and foremost with the NFC East. As I had Buffalo winning the division, New England in second, Miami in third, the Jets in fourth. For the the final tally, New England was in first, Buffalo second, the Jets third, Miami fourth. So I had a flip-flop on everything except for Buffalo winning the division. In the AFC South, I had Indianapolis winning the division, Houston second, Tennessee third, Jacksonville fourth. 
Jacksonville finishes in last. Indianapolis finishes in fourth. Tennessee finishes in second. Houston finishes in the tops of the division. In the AFC West, I had the Chargers finishing the top spot. Kansas City finishing in second. Oakland in third. Denver in fourth. I had finishes up with the Chargers in last. Oakland in third. Denver in second. And Kansas City in first spot. And then in the AFC North, I had the Browns winning the division. Pittsburgh in second. Baltimore in third. Cincinnati finishing in last. Cincinnati did finish in last place in the division. It was then it was then the Browns, the Steelers, and then the Ravens winning the division. In the NFC East. I had Philadelphia. I had Dallas, Philly, the Giants, and Washington. That's my spot. It finishes as this. Washington in last. The Giants in, in third. Dallas in, in second. And Philadelphia in first. So I had a flip-flop between Dallas and Philadelphia. In the south, I had Atlanta, New Orleans, Carolina, Tampa. Carolina finishes in last place. Tampa in third. Atlanta in second, New Orleans in first. In the West, I had Air, I had the Rams winning the division, Seattle being in second, San Francisco in third, Arizona in fourth. It finishes with Arizona in dead last, the Rams in third, the Seahawks in second, and the San Francisco 49ers in first place. And then in the NFC NFC North. I had the Bears, the Vikings, Green Bay, and Detroit. That's right on Detroit. Green Bay, Chicago, 8 and 8, Minnesota in third, second, and Green Bay finishes on top of the division. So, what does this all mean for the playoff picture? So this is what the playoffs look like. It will all start this upcoming Saturday as the Buffalo Bills head into Houston. 4.35 kickoff on ABC and ESPN. Both teams 10-6 and six overall. The ratings look like this. So the top two teams, excuse me, looked like this before we get into Wild Card Weekend, which is this upcoming weekend. Here is what it looks like. The playoffs look like this. It will be the top two. The top seed looks like this. Baltimore is getting the first overall seed in the AFC. Kansas City, the second seed, they have the automatic buys of the first through the first round. The three seed are the New England Patriots at twelve and four. The four seed are the Houston Texans. Fifth seed are the Buffalo Bills, and the sixth seed is the Tennessee Titans. Saturday's games are all AFC games. 435 kickoff as the Bills take on the Texans in Houston. And then Tennessee travels up to New England to battle Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. In the NFC, the number one overall seed is going to be the San Francisco 49ers. Second seed is Green Bay. They get the both teams get the automatic first round bye. The three seed are the New Orleans Saints at 13 and 3. The fourth seed are the Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia heads in. Uh, welcomes in the Seattle Seahawks in a game 
this upcoming Sunday. One o'clock kickoff on Fox. The late game will be on NBC as the Minnesota Vikings head into New Orleans to battle the Saints. At game A at 105 kickoff on Fox. The Lightcap 440 kickoff on NBC. Seattle heads into Philadelphia for that game. The divisional round will see the what happens with that. Big games this upcoming week next weekend for the divisional playoffs. Then we'll get to the conference championship. And then we will have who will be playing for Vince Lombardi's trophy this upcoming weekend. Uh, news and notes to pass along. Ron Rivera, the former head coach of the Carolina Panthers, is now the head coach of the Washington Football Club. Uh, former Bengals and Bucks coach, uh, the one and only, the one and only Sam Winch has died at the age of seventy-four on Thursday. Uh, a, he died, and. They paid tribute to him on the one of the greatest coaches out there. He coached the Bengals from 1984 to 1991 and was also head coach of the Buccaneers from 92 to 95. He went 61 to 66 with Cincinnati and guided the Bengals to the only to an appearance in Super Bowl 23 where they lost to the Niners by by Joe Montana with 34 seconds left to go in the game. So, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. As well, as you are listening to all Andy Elford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in to the podcast this evening. And now let's hit the ice and let's get to the Jacket Report. And by the way, before we get into the Jackets Report, if you want my predictions on this upcoming weekend, here they are. I'm going to take the Bills to beat the Texans. Tennessee to upset New England, New Orleans to beat Minnesota, and Seattle to beat Philadelphia. It's time to fire the cannon, and it's time to put on your jackets. It's time for the Jackets Report, right here on All Andy Alfred. The whistle blows, the whistle is blown at 19.2 on the clock. For some reason, the clock has run down a second and a tenth to 18.1. For whatever reason, I have no idea. So instead of resetting the clock, we have them tell our captain we're not going to do it. Toronto doesn't step in. Refs don't do their freaking job. And now we lose the game and we lose our goalie. So the chain of events, if it was done right, we don't lose our goalie, we win the hockey game. So all this technology, right? The technology and getting things right. The stubbornness tonight by the officials and by the league and Toronto, however it's supposed to work, screws us. It's ridiculous. I'm not taking any God. That was head coach John Tortorella of our Columbus Blue Jackets this past Sunday night. The Jackets took on the Chicago Blackhawks in a game that 
screwed the Jackets yet again. Jackets get screwed by the officiating again. Big time. Absolutely big time. And it, it, it kills me this past Sunday. We're not going to look at all the rest of the game. The rest from, from the break. We're going to look at what happened. The Jackets have been running a point streak now for the last uh, 12 odd games now. Overtime losses, shootout losses, wins, overtime, shootout wins. They've got a good point streak going. Had a nice winning streak going as well, too. Going into the game against Chicago. They had a win against the Islanders, a win against the Devils, a win against the Kings, a win against... They had one, two, three, four, five-game winning streak going into the Christmas break. They lose coming out of the Christmas break against Washington. Still pick up a point. They go in on Sunday to play the Chicago Blackhawks, and it was United Center East yet again because the Blackhawk Nation loves to travel. It all started with Riley Nash getting his third of the season. It was 1-0 Jackets, 6.54 mark in the first period, and then Pierre-Luc Dubois from Nick Foligno and Nathan Gervy on a wrist shot beats Scott Darling. It's 2-0 Jackets. And we let Chicago back in the game in the third period. Dylan Strom, his eighth of the season. From DeBrinket, it's 2-1. And Gustafson from Keith and DeBlanc makes it 2-2. And then in overtime, the Jackets kill a penalty. The clock does not get reset. In overtime, the Jackets drive it down the ice with time left to go. Warinsky takes the shot from the point. It gets deflected. It goes in the back of the net with no time remaining. No time remaining. It's a goal. It's clearly a goal. There's seven-tenths of a second left to go in the game, and they blow it dead. It's no goal. The league, pardon my language, the league screwed us. Because, again, some teams get away with it in the league. Toronto, Montreal, Pittsburgh, and Chicago. These four teams get away with a lot of things. And it played into that factor on Sunday. The Jackets then, the goal was disallowed. We go to a shootout. The first shooter, Dubois misses. The first shooter for Chicago, Jonathan Taves. Corpusalo goes to make a save. He misses. Taves scores. Corpy gets hurt. In the game. Merlinkus comes in to relieve him. 
Nyquist scores. It's 1-1 in the shootout. Patrick Kane comes in on a cold Alvis Merlinkus and just torches him. Backhand, forehand, backhand. And it's in the back of that 2-1 Chicago. Gerby, the chance to win it, misses. And Darling gets the win. Excuse me, Liner gets the win. Stopping 31 of 33. A save percentage of a .939. As the Jackets fall to the Chicago Blackhawks. 3-2. Corpusalo in the game. Had stopped 28 of 30. Save percentage of a .933 in the game. The stats look like this. The Jackets out shooting the Hawks 33-30. 54% was the leading in the faceoff dot for the Blackhawks to 46% for the for the Jackets. The Hawks 1 for 5 on the power play. Columbus 0 for 3. Both teams had 9 hits exactly against one another. The Jackets fall on Sunday to the Blackhawks 3-2. Then we get into Tuesday, New Year's Eve. The Jackets welcomed in. Former goaltender Sergei Bobrovsky and the Florida Panthers, Elvis Merlinkus, the new starting goaltender for the Jackets, as Corpusalo is now out four to six weeks with a knee injury. And the Jackets give Merlinkus some help. Wierenski in the first period getting his ninth of the season from Alexander Wimberg, and it's 1 0 Jackets, 454 into the first period. In the second, it was Savor, his fourth from Strawman and Polinskik. And it's 1-1 before Boone Jenner getting his eighth of the season from Nyquist and Wenberg on the power play, giving the Jackets a 2-1 lead at the 15-34 mark of the second period. And then in the third, Wierenski getting the hat trick in the game, his 10th and 11th of the third period, beating Sergei Bobrovsky, 4-1 Jackets. And that was the final. Wierenski, the number one star, Merlinkus getting his first win in the NHL. This is the number two star, Boone Jenner, the number three star in the game for the Panthers. Bobrovsky, 24 of 28, his save percentage of a .857. Merlinkus stopping 36 of 37, and his save percentage a solid, solid 9.73. The Jackets were outshot in the game 37 to 28. The Panthers 58% of the faceoff dot. The Jackets 42% of the faceoff dot. The Jackets 1 for 3 on the power play. Florida 0 for 2. The Jackets had 11 hits to the Panthers, 15 in the game. A sold-out crowd at Nationwide Arena. So that led us into tonight. The Jackets are in Boston to take on the Bruins. 7 o'clock puck drop for that one tonight. They will then head back home Saturday for a 1 o'clock faceoff against the San Jose Sharks. Game uh, pregame starting at 12:30 on Fox Sports Ohio, and then they start the West Coast road trip. Four games, three games in four days, as they will be in LA on Monday night. 10:30 puck drop for that one against the Kings. Tuesday they're in Anaheim to battle the Ducks. 10 o'clock puck drop for that one. A day off on Wednesday, Thursday. 10:30 puck drop as they'll take on the San Jose Sharks. They'll end the series on Saturday night in Vegas. 10 o'clock puck drop. For that one before returning home for four game four home games in seven day in 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 eight days, Boston, Carolina, the Devils. Then they go to New York on the 19th of January, where they return home on the 22nd to battle the Winnipeg 
Jets. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. The Jackets tonight needing a point to continue the point streak. Let's see if they'll get it tonight. It's a tough test for the Boston Bruins in front of them. Last night in the NHL, there was only one game yesterday, and it was the Winter Classic. It was a beautiful Winter Classic. 51 degrees at puck drop in the Cotton Bowl as it was early off Nashville as Matt Duchesne, the former Jacket, getting his ninth of the season on the power play. A five-minute power play was in play for the for the for the Panther for the Panthers in the game. But excuse me, for the Predators in the game. As Duchesne capitalizes on it, his ninth of the season from Yossi and Forsberg on the power play was one nothing Predators. And then Fabraro, his fourth of the season from Duchesne and Yossi, making it two nothing Predators. 20 minutes after 20 minutes in the Cotton Bowl for Blake Comel getting his fifth of the season from Dickerson and LL making it 2-1 Nashville after 40 minutes of play and then Dallas kicking it up in the third period scoring three unanswered to win the game um Jamark his fifth of the season uh rattle off his 12th and then Sekiro getting his first and it was 4-2 Dallas beating the Predators in front of 87,153, the second biggest attendance in in the Winter Classic's 29-year history as the Jet, as the Stars beat the Predators in the Winter Classic, winning, scoring four and answer, three in the third to win at the Cotton Bowl. Three stars of the game, Coma was the number one star, Klingenberg the number two star, Matt Duchesne the number three star. The overall stats looked like this. Dallas had 35 shots in net to Nashville's 33. 55% of the faceoff dot were the Dallas Stars. 45% for the Predators. The Predators 2 for 4 on the power play. The Stars 2 for 3. 42 hits for the Stars. 26 hits for the Predators in the game. The Predators, it was Pecorine stopping 31 of 35. His save percentage of a point, 886. For the Stars, it was Ben Bishop stopping 20, 31 of 33. 939 save percentage on that one. So the league gets back into play tonight. Besides the Jackets playing the Bruins, it will be the Leafs in Winnipeg to battle on the Jets. It will also be Edmonton in Buffalo to take on the Sabres. Tampa is in Montreal to battle the Canadiens. New Jersey heads into the into um, Queens to battle the, the Islanders. San Jose is in Pittsburgh to battle the Penguins. Florida is in Ottawa to battle the Senators. The Rangers head out west, the Canadian road trip for them as they battle the Calgary Flames. Dallas, excuse me, the Ducks are in Arizona to battle the Coyotes. St. Louis is in Colorado to battle the Avalanche. It'll be the Flyers in Vegas to battle the Golden Knights. And the Hawks are in, the Hawks are in Vancouver to battle the Canucks. The Red Wings will be back in action tomorrow night, 8.30 puck drop as they'll take on the Dallas Stars in Dallas. Washington is in Carolina to battle the Hurricanes. The standings look like this going into tonight's play. Boston on top of the in the Atlantic Division at 24-7-10 with 58 points. Toronto 22-14-5 with 49 points. The, the Lightning are 21-13-4 with 46 points. In the Metropolitan Division, the Washington Capitals are in top spot at 27-9-5 with 59 points. The Islanders 25-10 and three with 53 points. The Pittsburgh Penguins are 24, 11, and four with 52 points. A wild card standing looks like this. 
Carolina 24-14-2 with 50 points. Philadelphia 22-13-5 with 49 points. On the outside, looking at the Florida Panthers at 20-14-5 with 45 points. Our Columbus Blue Jackets are 18-14-8 with 44 points. The Rangers are 19-16-4 with 42 points. So are the Canadians at 18-16-6 with 42 points as well. The Buffalo Sabres are 17-17-7 with 41 points. The Ottawa Senators 16-19-5 with 37 points. The Devils 14-19-6 with 34 points. And the worst team in the Eastern Conference and overall in the league is the Detroit Red Wings at 10-28-3 with 23 points. The question is, when are they going to fire Blaschel? When are they going to fire Blaschel? In the Western Conference, it is the St. Louis Blues at 26-9-6 with 58 points. Colorado is 23-13-4 with 50 points. Dallas Stars, with their win yesterday, are 23-14-4 with 50 points. In the Pacific Division, it is the Vegas Golden Knights in the top spot at 22-15-6 with 50 points. Arizona is 22-16-4 with 48 points. Vancouver is 21-15-4 with 46 points. Wildcard standings look like this. Winnipeg holding the top spot at 22-15-3 with 47 points. And the Edmonton Oilers, 21-17-4 with 46 points on the outside looking in. Are the Calgary Flames at 20-17-5 with 45 points. The Minnesota Wild are 19-17-5 with 43 points. Nashville is 18-15-6 with 42 points. Chicago is 18-17-6 with 42 points. 17-21-4 are the LA Kings with 38 points. The Anaheim Ducks 16-19-5 with 37 points. And the San Jose Sharks are in dead last in the Western Conference with a record of 17-21-3 with 37 points. So hopefully the Jackets can get some points on the Western Conference road trip and they'll start playing Western Conference teams this upcoming Saturday, a 1 o'clock puck drop at 200 West Nationwide Boulevard in the Arena District. As you are listening to All Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. And now let's continue to hit the ice. Let's talk a little... Double-A hockey. Talk about the East Coast Hockey League. The East Coast Hockey League, of course, looking at this past weekend's action, the Jack, the uh, not the Jackets, but uh, the Walleye, the Toledo Walleye, which is the double-A affiliate of the Detroit Red Wings here in Toledo, took on the Wheeling Nailers and the Walleye returning of Kyle Bonus back to the lineup. He made an impact right away in the, sec- in the third period, getting his second goal with the Fish. At the 3:03 mark of the of the third period, giving the Walleye the two nothing lead, and that was and that goal propelled them to the win. Wheeling does score late. Brown his ninth of the season, as the Walleye getting a two one win in front of a sold out crowd of 8,226, as it was Kersopoulos getting the number one star, stopping 29 of 30 in the game. Toledo out shooting Wheeling in the game 34 to 30 and the Walleye improved to 18 excuse me right here 18 9 3 and 0 Wheeling now 15 12 and 4 overall speaking of teams in the in the East Coast Hockey League let's talk about the other team that we talk about here on the All Andy Alford Network and that's the top team in the Central Division in the Western Conference, and that is the Cincinnati Cyclones. This past Friday, the Cyclones hosted the Kansas City Mavericks, and the and the Cyclones 
getting out to an early, getting a good lead into the third period, then a fail play costs the Cyclones the win as Holtz buries it past Michael Hauser, his seventh of the season, with less than a minute to play in the game. A breakdown takes place, and the Mavericks steal a game from Heritage Bank Center as the Mavericks, a 3-2 win over the Cyclones. The Cyclones out shooting the Mavericks in the game 36-18. The Cyclones, uh, Sean Boomhauer and Brady Vale were the goal scorers in the game. Caruso, Van Streen, and Holtz. The Holtz was the game winner as the Cyclones getting a losing 3-2 to the Kansas City Mavericks in front of 5,813 at Heritage Center Heritage Bank Center on the banks of the Ohio River. So we get into this on Saturday. Both teams did not play on Saturday. They did play again on Sunday. And they played against each other as Cincinnati comes back up to the Huntington Center to battle. Let's lead a wall as it was a big game. Big-time atmosphere, a good-sized crowd. Again, 8,014 in attendance. Cincinnati's John Edward getting his two quick goals in the game. Honestly, I felt like Edwards was capitalizing on the opportunity. He got a chance to sit in the broadcast booth with Everett Fitzhugh doing, doing some, listening to some of his calls on the game. I like Everett. Everett's my best friend. He is one of the best in the East Coast Hockey League when it comes to play-by-play. Uh, Shane Birchbeck getting his his sixth of the season at the 17-22 mark of the first period, cutting the lead to 2-1 to one after 20 minutes of play, and then the Walleye making their presence known in the second period. Wing Chris on the power play from Birchbeck and DeCross is sixth of the season, making it 2-2, and then Birchbeck with back-to-back goals, including a beautiful shot that went in between his legs, beating the goaltender, Lukanen, and it was number five on SportsCenter. It was, Everett was just blown out of his mind of how beautiful that goal was. I was shocked, too. Burschback, a hattie in the game. It was 4-2 after 40 minutes of play. Bandry getting his his second of the season from Spencer and Degatti, making it 4-3, and then it was Turek for Toledo with at the Three minutes and 43 seconds into the third period, making it a 5-3 game. Mike Moffitt getting his fifth of the season from Kessner and Olitsky. His his fifth of the season, making it the final score at the Huntington Center instead of 8,014 by a score of 6-3. Kalapas stopping 35 of 38 in the game. Lukanen stopping 21 of 27 in the game for the Clones. Um, and I'll just say this, Cincinnati was very, very depleted in this game. It was a mass unit. Alex DeBrinkett was called, was moved from a defenseman to a forward in the game. Played really, really well in the game. But, of course, it got a little chippy later on in the game. Uh, the former, former walleye, former Fort Wayne Comet, and now, now former Cyclone, Cody Soule. Got a little chippy in the game. Was un, got a an unsportsmanlike conduct in the game, 
And the fans were very, very not appreciative of him in Toledo. And Toledo does not like Cody Soule because of all his years in the Fort Wayne organization. We'll just say that. Monday's game saw Wooster losing to Newfoundland 6-3. Adirondack wins in overtime over Brampton 3-2. Kansas City loses to Wichita 5-2. The Utah Grizzlies a 4-1 win over the Tulsa Oilers on New Year's Eve. It was Newfoundland a 4-3 win over the Newf- uh, over Wooster. The Maine Mariners lose to the Reading Royals by a score of 5-3. Adirondack loses to Brampton 5-2. Indianapolis a 6-2 win over the Kalamazoo Wings. Cincinnati welcomed in Greenville to Heritage Bank Center Arena. Good fireworks display afterwards. Got a chance to watch it on Facebook. Everett did a great job with that one. He also did a great job with the game as the team propels to a 3-2 win over Greenville. It was Hora his third of the season after Batiste getting his first, his fourth, this first for Greenville. It was 1-0 Greenville after 20 minutes of play. And then Cincinnati with Johnson and Hora getting two goals in that period, making it a 2-1 game after 40 minutes of play. Greenville's Larkin getting his sixth of the season before Mitchell, his tenth of the season, repelling the Cyclones to a 3-2 win. Hauser gets the win. He stopped 23 of 25 in the game. Bennard stopping 33 of 36 in the game in front of 7,206 at Heritage Bank Center in downtown Cincinnati, Ohio. The Walleye finished up 2019 and the finish of the decade against the Fort Wayne Comets. And it was, again, Shane Burschback, another hat trick for Bursey in the game as the Walleye thump the Comets by a score of 8-4. to T.J. Hendricks starting TJ Hensick starting the scoring for Toledo, his eighth of the season from Bonus and Buzzio. And then Gordy uh, Torley, his fourth of the season from Ballas, making it 1-1, and then the fish started frying the Comets. Burschback, his ninth, Loggins, his sixth, and Buzzio, his eighth, and it was 4-1 Toledo halfway through the second period before Sedlowski, making it 4-2 on a shorthanded goal. Then Kyle Bonus, his third of the season, making it 5-2 fish. Minsky getting his second for the Comets, making it 5-3, and then Burschback, again, his tenth of the season for Kotick and Winkris, making it 6-3, Torley getting his fifth of the season from Haas, making it 6-4 in favor of the Fish still, and then Burschback again on the power play, getting another hat trick, making it 7-4, Buzzio getting the empty nutter shorthanded from Bonus and Armidi, and the Fish finish 2019 with a 8-4 win in Fort Wayne over the Comets. Good game. For the fish in that one. The rest of the scores look like this. There's no games yesterday. Tonight, there is three games on the slate. Cincinnati is in Indianapolis to battle the Fuel. Norfolk is in Greenville to battle the Swamp Rabbits. Kansas City is in Allen to battle the Americans. The Walleye will be back on the ice tomorrow night, Friday night, the 3rd of January, as they will take on. Excuse me. Yeah, excuse me. They'll be back on the ice on the 4th of January as they take on the Indy Fuel 715 puck drop for that one. Then on Sunday, the 5th of January, they'll head to West Banco Arena to battle the Wheeling Nailers. They do play Friday night, I am being told by the by uh, 
by my producer. They play the Kalamazoo Wings tomorrow night, 7-15 puck drop. It is Ren and Stimpy Nickelodeon night. They're going to be wearing Blamos. It's Log jersey. If you remember the song, it's Log, it's Log, it's better than bed. It's good. Cincinnati, after tonight's game against Indianapolis, will head home to battle the Wheeling Nailers on Friday night. Then they will head Saturday. They will take on Wheeling again on Saturday before. So back-to-back nights against the Wheeling Nailers is Friday and Saturday. And then Sunday, the, the Cyclones are off. Looking at the standings going into tonight's play, it looks like this in the Central Division. Toledo is in second place. Cincinnati in first at 28 and 4 with 44 points. Toledo 18, 9, and 3 and 0 with 39 points. All teams in the Central Division do not have a shootout loss, so we'll keep it with the zeros. Fort Wayne 15, 12, and 5, 35 points. Wheeling 15, 12, and 4 with 34 points. Indy is 15, 15, and 1 with 31 points. Kalamazoo is 12, 15, 3, and 0 with 27 points overall. So. Looking forward to seeing how the season's going to break down and continue to go. And uh, we'll be at, with you every step of the way right here on your home for up-to-date ECHL Central Division standings right here on the All Andy Alford Network. As you're listening to the podcast tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning in. And now we have hit the end of our show. It's time for Andy Rants. Oh, it's now time for Andy Rance, and um, I want to say to you, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast tonight. If you haven't hit the, our subscribe button yet, then what are you doing? Hit the subscribe button. We do podcasts every every week right here on the All Andy Alford Network, whether it be my show or our partner show, which is Andy and Money, which is going to be taking place this upcoming Monday. As it'll be Andy Alford and Nick the Money Man Devera come back after the long holiday break talk sports and all things all things happening in each other's lives that'll be this upcoming monday hit the subscribe button you'll hear get every podcast that happens right here on the anchor network with the all andy alford network so it's now time for andy rants i hope you guys had a terrific christmas and a great new year's uh mine was fantastic got a lot of interesting gifts i got some suspenders i've got I got a few new video games, a lot of clothes, a lot of good stuff, um, uh, and it, it is it was honestly one of the best Christmases I've had in a while, to be honest. And um, you know, it's sad that the season, the holiday season, has come to an end, but uh, we have to move on with our lives. We're into the new decade of 2020, and let's reflect on what we learned in 2019, sports-wise. What we saw this past year in sports, of course, the big news, of course, the Jackets making it past the first round, defeating the President Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning was the big one, of course. The new era in Scott Leffler coming into Bowling Green and becoming the head coach of the Bowling Green State University Falcons. But the big one to us still was the 20-7 victory, Bowling Green's football team coming full circle and beating the University of Toledo was our top moment right here on the All Andy Elford Decade list. Um, we've been on the podcast now for 19. We've been doing this show for now 19 years since, excuse me, for nine years since 2010, when um, 
well, it's actually been since like 2008, 2009, actually. So it's been about 10, 11 years we've been doing this podcast. And one of the best moments, of course, was BG beating Toledo. Um, we have seen coaches come and go. We've seen managers and baseball teams come and go. As we have seen the growth of, of hockey in Central Ohio propel more and more. We've seen uh, a franchise here in Toledo just propelling themselves to the Kelly Cup final last season. We have seen football teams implode and deplode as well. Uh, we've also seen a lot of good things. So 2019 was a tremendous year. We're hoping that this decade brings happiness, but of course sadness comes along with the decade beginning. And on yesterday, David Stern, the former NBA uh, president, passing away from a brain hemorrhage at 72. He will surely be missed. He was one of the driving forces that made me watch a little bit of the NBA back in the 90s. And he was one of the faces that you could help out. Uh, Gary Bettman as well was a key piece to him becoming the uh, general, the commissioner of the NHL as well. Uh, we also lost Don Larson yesterday, the first pitcher to throw a, a, in the World Series a perfect game. Uh, and he is the last pitcher so far who has thrown a perfect game in a World Series. He is dead at the age of 90. You heard earlier that the former coach of of the Bengals passed away. So they die in threes. So hopefully we're done with deaths in the world of sports. So, um, But we've seen beginnings of new lives when it comes to sports. And, and, and the thrill of victory is what keeps us going. And... Um, that's um, that's something to look forward to in 2020. And, and with us being with you guys this year, I hope that you guys enjoy our podcast. I hope you enjoy the shows to come. We'll be back on the air with you guys next week for another edition of All Andy Alford. We'll recap the playoffs in the NFL, of course. You'll hear it on Andy and Money first on Monday, but we'll be back on the air next Thursday for another edition of the podcast. Um, also, we will talk... A recap of the Jackets recap as well as as well as the Walleye Roundup and so much more. So welcome into 2020 and welcome into another season and another year of all Andy Alford. Until then, I'm Andy Alford. And by the way, I will see everybody tomorrow night at the Toledo School for the Arts alumni event, hopefully. If not, um, I hope to catch you guys sooner or later. And until then, this is Andy Alford saying, I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. The game of life. Keep your stick on the ice. And to the teams you root for at home. And to my teams. Go Jackets! Go Walleye and go Clones! Go Falcons! Go Lions! Gotta get it right. Go Browns! Hire McCarthy. And go Hens! And go Tigers! Victory is sweetest! When you have tasted defeat. Have a great week everybody. I'll talk to you guys. On Monday with Andy and Money. But I'll be talking to you guys again with Andy, all Andy Elford. Next Thursday. Right here on the Anchor Network. Love you. Talk to you then. Follow Andy on Twitter. It is at all Andy Elford. It is at all Andy Elford. And on Facebook.com slash all Andy Elford. This has been a presentation of the all Andy Elford Network. Powered by Anchor.